Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, This man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. I speak in the name of the one living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Today's gospel lesson virtually begs that we talk about these competing notions of pride and humility, doesn't it? So let's lean into it. Let's talk a little bit about that. First of all, pride. I guess is, if I took a bowl here, everybody would say, no, pride is something we need to be careful about. We need to stay away from being prideful. And we've all had bad experiences with the pride in the sense that we all know people who are excessively prideful, who boast about themselves all the time. And let's face it, we don't really like those people, do we? So we can agree, pride is something of a problem. Well, what about humility? Well, we all agree that humility is a good thing. We should embrace the notion of being humble. The problem I see it is this. I'm not so sure we really know what being humble is. I'm thinking about this. You've all seen this. We've all seen it many times. Somebody receives an award or an honor, and they're being applauded, and then it's time for them to speak, and they say, I am humbled by this. I don't want to scream out, no, you're not. (laughs) You're not humbled. I mean, you've just been given an award. If anything, this is a temptation to pride. Or the person we've heard say, I'm just a humble servant. And when we hear that, be careful. So what is humility? What is authentic humility? What is biblical humility? Humility. Well, let's, let's look to the root. The Hebrew word that we see translated as humble is aw-naw. Aw-naw means to, to bow someone down or to afflict someone. The Greek word is tapino. Tapino means to, to bring someone low. All of this is illustrated beautifully in Deuteronomy in the eighth chapter where God says he is going to awe, gnaw 
the Israelites. He's going to humble them. He's going to afflict them because of their pride and their arrogance. He's going to make them wander in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, I recognize that probably nobody came to church today hoping to hear a sermon about how great it is to be afflicted. I get that. But God is not so much interested in affliction in and of itself, but what affliction or trials and tribulations do for us in the sense that the change it brings about us. So rather than pray that we all leave here afflicted today, let's talk about what it is that leads, on the one hand, to a path towards arrogance, pride, and what leads us down the path of humility. I've given it some thought, and I think it can be traced back to vision. More specifically, to the difference between peripheral vision on the one hand and tunnel vision on the other. Jesus illustrates this beautifully with today's little parable. First, we meet the Pharisee. And what are we told about the Pharisee? Well, first we're told that he is standing by himself. Now, the fact that he's standing is is not unusual. In fact, it was the practice in that day when you prayed to stand and pray. But what is remarkable, what is notable, is that he is standing by himself. In other words, he has carefully positioned himself so that everybody there can see him, everybody there can hear him. And we can be quite confident that he is talking loud enough for everybody to hear using the old stage whisper. And what does he say? Well, his words, his words just drip with self-congratulation, don't they? I'm glad that I am not like these others, thieves and rogues and adulterers. But it's the last comparison. The last comparison is the one that clues us in as to what's really going on. Or even like this tax collector. Wait a minute. He's supposed to be praying. He's supposed to be looking up to heaven, looking at God. Instead, when he says this tax collector, it reveals to us that he may be looking up, but he's using that peripheral vision. He's looking around to see who's there, who's watching him, who's listening to him. Who can he compare himself to? And then we have the tax collector. And we're told that he is standing afar off. We're not told exactly where, but we picture him standing maybe against the wall or or behind or beside a pillar. We're also told that he's looking down. Now, this this is a small but a significant detail. He won't look up. You see, a universal response to a feeling of shame is to look down. And we're also told that he's beating his breast. Now, we don't do a lot of breast beating in this culture, in this church anyway, but it was a common thing back in the Near East of that that age. Beating your breast was a sign of repentance. And how about his words? He's begging for mercy. God, be merciful on me, a sinner. 
in juxtaposition to the Pharisee who's ostensibly praying but looking around at the same time, we have this tax collector who is laser-focused on God. The Pharisee uses his peripheral vision and sees others he can compare himself to favorably. And that leads to a path of arrogance. The tax collector looks and sees only God. He compares himself to God, and that reveals that he falls short. And that puts him on the path to humility, to redemption. Now, we need to pause here and be very careful because there are two potential traps here. The first trap is this. When we read this parable, if we start to judge the Pharisee in his arrogance, suddenly we have taken the first step on that same path the Pharisee is on. When we begin to judge and look down on him. The second trap to be aware of is this. Today's parable is no excuse for bad behavior. I mean, the truth is the Pharisee had lived a good life. He had, he had fasted twice a week. He, he was contributing a tenth of his income back to God. And the tax collector had a lot to be ashamed of. These tax collectors were in cahoots with the Roman occupiers and doing so for their own wealth and benefit. It's not much of a stretch. In fact, it's no stretch at all to compare the tax collectors with those handful of, of French citizens who cooperated with the Nazis during their occupation in World War II. But at this point, the tax collector and the, and the Pharisee are going in divergent directions. The Pharisee is headed towards arrogance the tax collector towards humility and redemption. I think when we put all this together, it reveals that the, the most important message, I think, of today's story is that the Holy One, the Immortal One, is much more concerned about where we are going than where we have been. God is much more concerned about our future than our past. And here, I'm reminded of one of my favorite movies, a scene in one of my favorite movies, Disney's The Lion King. Great movie. Y'all all remember the hero of the movie is the young lion, Simba. Simba is the heir to the throne, but in the scene I'm thinking about, it's in the back half of the film, and Simba has, is now living in exile in the jungle. And he's fallen into cahoots with a couple of rather unsavory fellas, and they're living this life of kumatata, whatever, you know, you know, a very hedonistic life. But the time has come that Simba is desperately needed back home. And so Rafiki, Rafiki, the wise mandrel, goes in search of Simba and finds Simba in the jungle, and they have, are having a conversation one evening, and this is the scene I'm thinking about. It's a beautiful night. The moon is out and they're talking. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Rafiki takes his stick and whacks Simba over the head with it. Y'all remember that? 
Yeah, you do. Of course you do. And Simba goes, ow, geez, what's that for? And then Rafiki, in a very obtuse fashion, says, what does it matter? It's in the past. Simba's got an answer for that. Simba says, yeah, but it hurts. And then Rafiki makes a statement that is the point of the scene. It is sage advice for Simba, and it's advice that comes out of today's gospel lesson. Rafiki says, it is true, the past can hurt, but you can either run from it or you can learn from it. The tax collector learned from his past. Now, the tax collector is turned towards God, but a lot like you and me, he's still got a ways to go. But today's lesson reveals to us that as we are on that path, the key is to have that tunnel vision, to be laser-focused on becoming what God wants and intends us to be. And that means eschewing peripheral vision. Don't look to people that we might want to compare ourselves to because we can all find people to compare ourselves to. Instead, keep the tunnel vision. Look always to God and we'll be reminded every step of the way that the journey is not complete. We haven't arrived. And in doing so, that is how we have authentic humility. Amen.